Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The mission of the Greenville Oaks Church of Christ is to inspire people to follow Jesus because we are convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Find out more about Greenville Oaks or connect with us online at greenvilleoaks.org. As always, we ask that you subscribe to, rate, and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Colin Packer. church. It's good to sing songs to God together, to be sharing in communion together. I'm excited today to begin a a seven-week conversation uh, that will go on and extend into our our, uh, community groups, our connect groups and otherwise. And so many of you are engaged in that. If you're not in a small group and this topic uh, engages you, we'd love to help you find a group so that you can be in further conversation this week. Many of those groups are meeting today and some throughout the week. But this series is called Ahead of Their Time. And it's a series about some of the hard questions that some of us have struggled with probably at the time about different scriptures and pictures of God, especially from the Older Testament, uh, that are some of the ones that, that sometimes books have been written about by atheists and otherwise uh, who have tried to say, why would you want to worship a God like this? And there have been times in my life, in my journey, where I've wondered the same thing. Some of these passages seem barbaric. They seem... Uh, primitive. They seem like something we need to move past. And uh, I, I actually want us in this series to lean into those very passages. Instead of setting them aside, instead of hiding them, acting like they're not there, let's look at them all over again and ask the question, what is God really up to and what might this have to do with our life in 2019? And so I'm very excited this morning to share with you the message that I have prepared, but also for what God's going to do over the next several weeks as we engage in conversation and, uh, and so I'm thrilled to get started this morning. Let's start with prayer as we open uh, our time in the Word this morning. God, we thank you uh, for the creation that groans uh, longing for you to redeem and restore everything. We long and wait for the day uh, ahead of us, God. We're waiting in anticipation for the day when you'll send Christ and you'll return. And you'll make all things new and all things right and we'll be reconciled again. And God, I pray this morning for a world that is not reconciled, for a world that is groaning, for a world uh, that maybe wonders if your, your news is no longer good news for the world, that they would take another look, a deeper look to see how some of these passages that are in here that sometimes are maybe things that we have stepped away from or been embarrassed of, they'd be the very places we would lean in to see your grace and your mercy and your goodness. So I pray that you would do that over the next few weeks as a church family as we look again. And I pray this morning you would pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in our hearts. And it's the name of Jesus that we pray. And everyone said, Amen. We've got a simple outline this morning for you to follow along with. Uh, that outline goes something like this. I'm going to tell you, ask you two questions. We're going to go back to room 201 in maybe north. Uh, we're going to uh, talk about the blue suitcase. Ancient Babylonian creation myths, Genesis 1, and then an invitation to close things out this morning. So question number one of these two questions. I want you to dwell on these questions because I think they are vital for us to understand. These questions really set up the entire series of lessons that I want to share with you. 
And the first question is this, is God ahead of us, inviting us into the future, or is God behind us, trying to get us to return to the way things once were? What does Scripture point to when it comes to this question? Just dwell on that for a moment. Because by my estimation, that's one of the most important questions we can ask for trying to discover our role in the world here in 2019 in the 21st century. Where is God? What is God drawing us forward to? And the second question is this. Is the best future a return to a pristine era when things were ideal? Or is the best future actually in the future? Which brings me to room 201 in maybe north. In the fall of 2002, I moved away from Dallas where my home was, the address that I'd called home for about five years, and made the move to Abilene, Texas to go to school at Abilene Christian University. And I moved into the freshman dorm. Maybe Hall was the name of that dorm. Some of you may have spent some time there. It's still standing, which is pretty amazing. And uh, we were, I moved into the second floor on the north side, room 201, and uh, I still remember the feeling of walking into that setting. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about, a feeling of walking into the unknown, right, of, of uncertainty of who the friends would be that we'd walk with, of, of the path that God had laid out for my life and who God would draw into my path. And the unknown takes all kinds of interesting forms, doesn't it? I really want you to uh, not just think about those moments, but I want you to go back to that emotion that you felt before in a moment of unknowing, a moment of moving into something new, maybe a new job, a new career, a new relationship, uh, a new experience, uh, a move of, of city to another city. We all know what it's like to feel like we're moving into the unknown. But I was where I was for a reason, and I believe that. And I knew I would have companions along this journey into this unknown that would guide me along the path. And I had some great ones. But one of the interesting companions on that journey was a guy who moved in next door to me. Uh, And the two guys in the room next door, of course, I didn't know coming to school, but they ended up both being in our wedding. And uh, one of the the names of the guy was a guy named Evan. And Evan uh, grew up in a church, but it was a church that was part of a different faith tradition than the tradition that I had grown up in. And so I had been taught the scriptures. I'd been taught how to view all these stories. And it was obvious when we began to engage in conversation, Evan and uh, and I, that we had a different view of some of these stories. We've been taught to handle scripture a bit differently. And as we were next door to each other, it was obvious that I could see this as either a threat to my faith or I could see this as a gift, as an invitation, as an opportunity. We always have that question when we step into contact with people who see the world differently from us. Are we going to see this as a threat or are we going to see this as an opportunity? I want you to think back about the people that you engage with that see the world differently. There's always that, uh, that, that option, those two options. And there were some around our, our dorm room when we would have conversations that would see it as threat and would shut it down. And it was just easier not to walk into the unknown of conversations of people who saw the world differently. But there was another opportunity, and that was to lean into that conversation, to see it as an opportunity. And I, I had that choice with Evan. I could assume I was right the way I had been taught and not open my world and my eyes to see Scripture and maybe see if there's something that I hadn't seen before. Or I could see it as opportunity to ask, tell me how you see this. Tell me how the Spirit has worked in your church to see it differently. Which brings me to this uh, blue suitcase. Because this blue suitcase was the suitcase that I took to school with me in 2002 when I walked into the dorm. I had my clothes in the suitcase and suitcase uh, did me well for a while. Um, but I realized when I got in the dorm, there's really not enough space to uh, figure out where to put the suitcase. So this suitcase just stayed out in my room the entire year as like a table in front of my futon. Uh, 
And uh, our futon and the chairs around it were, was a place where we'd have all kinds of conversations late at night. Uh, you know, we'd have conversations about all kinds of stuff. This uh, became the table for pizza boxes that were part of adding the freshman 15 in my life. And uh, not only that, we had the dessert pizza, the Cinepie from, P- uh, from Papa John's that we loved to enjoy after that, which added a few more than those 15 that first year. And this was the table around which we had conversations as we watched TV, as we played video games, as we talked about girls and God and how to change the world. That was, it seemed like the conversation every night. Some of you remember this. You're nodding because you can go back to that experience in your life at some point. And this blue suitcase was also there. In fact, if this blue suitcase could tell stories, it would be pretty, uh, I wouldn't want that to happen, I don't think. But uh, you all know the kind of furniture that, you're, that I'm describing as well. And I remember one night being around this suitcase And walking into a little bit of the unknown that I had described just a moment ago, those those emotions. And the reason was because the topic of conversation that night was different than some of the other nights. The topic of conversation was uh, about creation and about the creation story and about science and how the world came to be. Now, I grew up in a private Christian school from kindergarten all the way up through high school. And then, of course, I went to a private university as well, Christian University. And so in that private Christian school, there were conversations we had that public school students didn't get a chance to. We had a Bible class. We talked about matters of faith. We had interesting debates in those classes and and, and tests that were quizzed on that. But as part of a private Christian institution, there were things that we didn't talk about that probably you had a chance to if you uh, went to a, a public high school. And this was one of those conversations that became pretty apparent that there were some things I didn't know about that these other students seemed to know about. In fact, my friend Evan talked that, that day, he talked about the Scopes Monkey Trial. And I got to be honest, I'd never heard of the Scopes Monkey Trial. I didn't, we, we, Charles Darwin's name was never brought up in, in our conversations in the science because basically the Bible in Genesis was our science textbook. And I don't know if you've ever felt this, but there's a feeling that comes along with that kind of frustration, that kind of embarrassment, the sense of, I don't know how to engage this conversation. I wasn't prepared for this conversation. I I don't know what these things are. And if you've ever gone into the unknown, you've probably had a feeling like that before. And as I was thinking about that experience this week with this blue suitcase, I was thinking about all of the unknowns that we all walk into in our lives. There are moments of embarrassment. There are moments where everyone else seems to know what a conversation is like, and yet, I feel on the outside of it, and I'm not sure quite how to engage it. Feeling of not knowing what everyone else seems to know. But at a deeper level than even that, there's this rumble inside of us sometimes that happens when your truth is threatened. Because what the, the reality of what happened around that room in that suitcase is, I, I was holding on to a bunch of scared truths. Scared truths. What that means was I was handed a view of the world, but I didn't know if that view of the world could actually stand up in the midst of a conversation with people who saw the world differently than I did. What are scared truths? Scared truths are the principles and beliefs we hold on to when questioned that cause us to shrink back or to turn in or to put up walls and to stop listening. And when you're holding on to scared truths deep down at a gut level, you don't have as much confidence as sometimes externally it can look like you do. But there's an undeniable reality about truth and about any conversation with people who see the world differently, and that's this. The truth has nothing to be afraid of. The truth has nothing to be afraid of. Truth is not afraid of inquiry. Truth, it doesn't hide from questions. Truth doesn't need to be defensive around conversations that we're a little bit uncertain about. Truth has nothing to be afraid of. But when you walk into the unknown, 
When you walk with people who see the world a bit differently, it can be disconcerting and we can forget that reality about truth. Which naturally brings me to a conversation this morning about ancient Babylonian creation myths. Every, every culture that's ever existed goes back and tells stories, tells myths about how the world came to be. That's a question that we all have innately is, where do we come from? This is true for you as an individual. Coming to know your family history, the culture, the place that your family came from originally, all of that is interesting and informs us about ourselves. The same is true about cultures, wondering about how this whole thing got started. How did earth come to be? Where did this all get started? Why are we here? What's the point of our existence? And in the Babylonian tradition, the world that the Israelites eventually ended up living uh, within, right? There was a story of a creation myth called the Enuma Elish. And in this story, there was a battle between the gods, is how the world got started. And there was a god named Marduk, who was one of the great gods. And there was this goddess named Tiamat. And they got into this battle. And at the end of that battle, uh, Marduk defeats Tiamat. And he actually takes uh, Tiamat's carcass and breaks that carcass in half. And it's from that, that violent act that actually the world is created. That's the creation myth. That's the story that the Babylonians would have all known and told one another about how existence came to be. So if you were to ask the uh, Babylonians at that time, how did the world come to be? How did we get here? They would say, well, there was this giant battle. Between a god and a goddess, and the god defeated the goddess, and this carcass was broken open, and that's how this world came to be. How did we get here? According to them, violence and carnage was the way the world came to exist. And that's one way of telling the story about how the world came to be, but there are other stories, as you all know. Which brings me to Genesis chapter 1. Now, when I showed up in, in room 201 in Maybe Hall on the north side, I had a particular way of understanding how the Bible begins. I was told stories growing up, reading the Bible, reading in the book of Genesis about how this all worked. In our high school classes, we had all this worked out and told to us. And I went, and, and all of us do this with our kids, right? We're telling them the narrative, the story that we have come to believe, the Bible, as it's inspired, that it tells us about how God created the whole world. Now, what happens is we tell that story in a certain way as youngsters, and then as we grow, we realize there's deeper questions to ask. Now there's realities about science, so we have to figure out how does that blend in our worldview about the story that Scripture tells, and how does that work in light of the world that develops after Copernicus and Galileo and all that we know now about science. But my experience in seminary gave context to the story of creation in a way that led me to believe this story even more deeply than some of the simplistic ways that I was told it to start. Because you see, the book of Genesis was a story that was passed down orally for generations. It didn't start out in, in book or on a scroll. That wasn't the kind of thing they did at the very beginning. This was a story. This was an oral culture. And it was a story where Moses and those who were there early on received this story. And it was passed down to the next generation. It was passed down to the next generation. Which begs the question, how did the story come into print? And scholars have done a lot of work trying to figure this all out. And there's a good chance that, that Moses and those contemporaries around him probably wrote some of these stories down in pieces. But it was likely edited and finalized and put in written form on a scroll more like in the exile period than probably in the lifetime of Moses. Now, let's talk about the exile for a moment because this timing is really important for the point I want to get to about what creation is and how it holds us together in the midst of our world in 2019. My question is, why did they write this story? And why was it then that they chose to write this story down? The exile was Israel's punishment 
for its sin of idolatry and walking away from God. You remember back to the story, right? They were released from uh, bondage in Egypt. They, they went into the promised land after years in the wilderness, right? The, the kingdom comes together and David is the, the, the king on the throne and then Solomon. And then eventually the kingdom's divided. And eventually after that, exile begins as foreign powers come in and begin to destroy Jerusalem. The temple is no more uh, the place they came together. Now they're living in foreign lands under the rule of other powers, Now, go with me here for a minute. What is significant about the exile for Israel? Why would this be the time when it was important to write down this story, to make sure it's preserved in written form for future generations to be able to know and read? I would suggest to you it's because they have entered into the unknown. I want to just think for a moment about what the disruption this is for Israel's life. Remember the feeling that comes with the unknown. I mean, this moment of exile was devastating for Israel. The exile threw uh, into question everything about Israel's faith. Because for hundreds of years, God had traveled with the people of Israel, right? In the tabernacle, as they were in the wilderness, God is going around with them. His presence is in the Holy of Holies. They're between the cherubim above the Ark of the Covenant. God is there. They know that he's present with them. And then they build a temple. And it's clear that God is in the Holy of Holies. His presence comes and descends on that temple. They know where God is. The question is, where is God when you don't have the temple and the tabernacle to gather at each week? And then a whole new set of questions emerge, right? Because... Wait, if, if Marduk's the story that's being told and we're living in Babylon, does that mean Marduk's more powerful than Yahweh? These are the kinds of questions that Israel was sorting through. And it was a world that was different for their kids that were being born in Babylon than the world that they grew up in being established in Jerusalem. And not only that, you have kids who are entering into school that are being told different stories about how the world came to be, about how they sort through Um, their sexuality and trying to live a life uh, that God wants us to lead, about questions about science and how that's sorted through. There's stories that are being told, and we think all the time about how we're engaging our kids in the world with those stories, with the story that we know that we want them to take on. That's the story of the Christian faith. Those are the same questions that Israel's having to sort through because their kids are not just learning the story of Israel's God. They're learning the story of Marduk. They're learning the story about a God who created the world through this battle of the gods, And in the midst of all that confusion, it's really important that they write this story down. It's really important that these kids have something they can pass on to the next generation because now they don't have a temple to send them to. Now they don't have a presence of an altar where things are going to happen every year where you can expect it to. They're trying to sort through faith in a new era. Does that sound familiar to anyone? And I'm sure as they ask those questions about which God is more powerful... They started to ask, were, were all these stories just a figment of our imaginations? Were all these laws that were handed down at Sinai, are they still relevant for life in this century? Is our story true and is our story worth preserving? And the answer is that they came to was yes. Yes, it's worth preserving. Yes, we need to write this down so that future generations will know the stories we have told throughout the centuries. The story of God's action to free us from bondage. The story of God leading us with fire by night and cloud by day to know where his presence is in our midst. The story of the day of atonement. The story of the Sabbath. These are the things we keep, yes, even in exile as we question if God hears our prayers. And in that moment, they decided once again to pass these stories down to their kids to make sure the next generation heard them and so that it could be passed on to the next. 
They knew their kids were learning a different story at school with all the other kids. But they know their story was a story worth preserving that was actually a better story, a truer story to the reality of who God is and who our world is. But the story you see in Genesis 1 is a different story than the story of Marduk and Tiamat. Think about the Genesis story for a moment. In, in, in the Genesis story, God creates the heavens and the earth. In their story, there is one God. That alone would have been mind-blowing in the midst of the Babylonian culture. By the way, the Babylonians worship the sun and the moon. <laughs> but if you read in Genesis 1, our God created the sun and the moon. You see what this story is trying to do, Right? Trying to remind these people in the midst of all these other groups that are following after all these other things and worshiping all these, these different gods, there's one God over all this. It's a polemic. You all worship the sun, our God created the sun. It's clever, it's subversive, it's, it has political implications. And in this story, God loves creating. You remember every day of creation, right? God created and he calls it good. God has this great joy in the creativity that comes. In the other story, right, it's chaos that's the result of the world coming to be. But in the Genesis story, it's actually a God who takes the chaos and orders it to bring it together for something better. It's this God who doesn't look on humans as these peons that are just supposed to do the bidding of the gods. No, this God creates humans in the image of this God. This God loves his creation. This God creates trees, and, and these trees have seed-bearing plants. It's a vital, booming, ongoing work of creation where God creates and calls it into existence, and that work continues as humans tend to it. This is not an accident of violence. This is not the result of a battle in the heavens. No, this God is a God who loves to create, who loves the humans that he's created, who desires relationship with these humans. This is a far different story. This God loves diversity. This God loves beauty. This God loves aesthetics. The fruit this God creates is pleasing to the eye. It tastes good. And what's the engine of this story? Not violence and carnage. The engine of this story is joy and creativity, multiplication. It brings this God, our God, joy to create. And this story was edited and recorded on paper because the dominant understanding around them told a different story. The, the story of the gods that they worshipped was about violence. It was about carnage. That's how the world came to be. And this Genesis story emerged posing a different kind of question. It asked the listener, are we here because of violence and carnage? Or are we here because of divine creativity and joy? Which of these stories do you want to give your life to? Which of these stories is better? Which of, this, which of these stories creates a better world? I believe in the story that Genesis tells. I'm committing my life to that story because what I believe is in a God who sees the humanity of each person and sees divinity stamped on them as well. I believe in a God who creates and expands and calls on us to continue to multiply and to subdue the earth and rule over it. It's our job. It's our work to continue. And how about you? Which story is more compelling to you? How much do we need this question in 2019 right now? A question about what's the engine for the universe? Carnage and destruction or joy and creativity? crushing your opponents, or overwhelming generosity? Which is a better way to view the world? So I hope you see how Genesis 1 isn't just an account of how the world came to be. It certainly relates to that. 
And when we get stuck on these questions about whether creation happened in a six 24-hour periods, we're missing a larger picture about what God's doing in the larger world. This is a story about a God who is so much better than any of the gods the Babylonians could even dream up or imagine. This is a creation story that was ahead of its time. And what we're going to discover over the next six weeks is this happens over and over again. The gods around them are telling certain stories about how the way the world works, and this God is a jump ahead of them. This God is a, a leap ahead of them. This, this, this God's way into the future for what they can imagine in the moment. This God's not primitive. This God is not barbaric. No, no, no. This God is ahead of us, drawing, pulling, inviting us forward to his best future. Which brings me to an invitation that I want to offer you. It can be scary to move toward the unknown. In fact, early I was trying to take you to a moment in my life where I felt that tension because I had been told this is the way the world works. And as I entered into that moment, my roommate was not nearly as open to that conversation as I was because it was scary and he'd been handed a story and, and, and all this conversation, it was a threat. And so it was, the, it was that idea of a scared truth that just needed to be protected and walled off and doesn't engage the world. But I'm here to tell you in 2019, we can't not engage the world, Right? If we want to be a part of this offensive force, the kingdom of God, the gates of Hades cannot stand against it. That means we're entering into the conversations of culture, not in a defensive way, but we're leaning in because we really believe that the truth has nothing to be afraid of. It's interesting, right? Because if we have these scared truths, then we have to be defensive. If if, if we're not quite sure that our our faith can stand up in in the culture, then it's easier just to wall ourselves off and to protect ourselves. And that's how churches and Christianity will die, is if we choose to just circle the wagons and just protect everything in the corner. But if we have a God who is the way and the truth and the life, this has nothing to be afraid of. There's no reason for anxiety. We're able non-anxiously to move into the world and ask the question, how does this God call us to move forward as the people of God in this time and in this place? So instead of shrinking back and hiding from the deep questions of faith, I want to invite us to just have a posture change. That's all it is. From this kind of defensive leaning back to this leaning into the conversation. Just that movement from here to here can make all the difference for us and will allow others to engage us as we try to engage them as well. I'm telling you, church, I believe this story more than I ever have before. I believe that the Genesis story is the best story uh, that could possibly be told. I believe this is the way it actually came to be. I believe God inspires creation and sees his divine image stamped on us. And that has all kinds of implications for how we live in the world, doesn't it, if we believe that? I don't think the truth has anything to be afraid of. And I want you to believe in this as deeply as I do. So many of you have struggled with these questions. Some of you work in environments where you have to bump up against this every single day. Some of you have conversations with friends and neighbors, and you've got to figure out how do you live in the tension of seeing things differently. That's where many of us, maybe all of us, are living. But I go back to this moment by that suitcase, and I remember what it was like to enter into that unknown. And I don't want us to enter into this without realizing that there's some stuff that comes along with this. That moment represented my life and, 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 and accept, uh, accepting an invitation. To lean into a conversation it would have been easier to stay out of. But I, 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 I got to tell you, I don't use this suitcase anymore because without anything in it, it weighs about 30 pounds and I don't like uh, paying fees. 
But I keep this suitcase around because it reminds me of a moment where I decided to lean forward. Over the next six weeks, we're going to take a look at some interesting stories in the Bible. We're going to look at one of the most difficult stories, one that atheists love to point to, to direct people away from faith, to say, why would you want to worship a God like this? It's the story in Genesis 22 of Isaac and Abraham and the sacrifice that God calls Abraham to make. People ask that question all the time. How could you worship a God who would demand the sacrifice of children? We're going to talk about that story. We're going to talk about the flood story, right? A flood story that is a great story to teach our kids, but up to a certain point, right? Because then there's the questions that come at some point in their lives of, yeah, but all these people were destroyed in the process. We're going to talk about the flood story. We're going to talk about regulations in the Old Testament and the Torah about women and about slavery. And how does that work in the midst of the world that we live in in 2019? We're going to talk about a passage, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, which if we want to cling on to, we'll make the whole world blind. It's been doing it for a while now. What does it look like to lean in to Jesus' commands in the midst of the commands of the Old Testament? And then finally, why all these animal sacrifices? Why is all this blood necessary? Is this for God? Is this for us? And what does that have to do with 2019 in the world that we live in? And if you'll lean into these primitive and barbaric passages, what I want to say is if we'll lean in far enough, what we'll find is these passages that may look like they're the most backwards actually give us the most hope if we see them in their time for what they're trying to do. Because I'm here to tell you this is not a God who is behind us. This is a God who's waiting on us to catch up to him. That's what we're doing right now. I was just in a class actually earlier today where Brian and Nathan were talking about the second coming, right? We're all waiting on Jesus to return. We don't know the time or the date, but what we talked about in that class is we lean forward, right? All we're doing is taking our posture from here to here to say, God, will you take us where you want us to go? That's what we all long for in our lives. God, we can't see ahead of us, but what we need to know is that you're ahead of us with a cloud by day and fire by night and that you'll lead us on a direct path. God, trust in the Lord with all your hearts. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll what? He'll direct your path. He'll lead you forward to the future that he's designed you for. And that's true for us as individuals. It's the prayer I want to end with this morning for our church family as well is that we will trust, is that we will believe that the truth has nothing to be afraid of and we can be non-anxious because we are in the hands of a God, not who created the world through violence and carnage, but we're created in the image of a God who loves us deeply and who stamped his divine image on us and wants to continue to inspire creativity through us as his image bearers. I hope you're excited about the next few weeks. I'm excited to hear the conversations that will come in our uh, groups. And uh, I hope this will be a journey that we all will find blessing in. Let's, let's pray as we close this morning. Father, it can be easy in the midst of a culture in which we feel as if we're sometimes embattled. We can feel as if we're uh, living in a different era than others before us, perhaps. That our posture needs to look different than what it has. And God, I, I just want to start from a place of repentance for those times where I have stood back scared to engage the world that you love rather than leaning in to hear the stories of people and to hear your own spirit guide us forward. God, I've seen churches that have circled the wagons, that have tried to secure ourselves from all the forces out there. And at the same time, we protect ourselves. We also lose the vitality of a journey that realizes that the kingdom of God has nothing to fear, that we serve an unshakable kingdom. And that you are a God who is worthy of our trust and worthy of our hope 
and worthy of the steps we'll take forward. And so, God, I pray that over these next several weeks, that the questions that some of us have held deeply about whether you're a God that's worthy of our worship, that some of those questions will be answered. And we know that it will spark new questions as well, God, about other texts and passages. But, God, our trust is, our hope is, our posture is that we want to lean in. We want to lean forward with anticipation for what you're doing in the world, that we can always be one step behind you with the dust of our rabbi caking us as we walk directly behind Jesus through whatever you'd have us do. So God, we thank you for the, the, the story of creation that is not some kind of myth, God. It is, it is actually the story of how you created the world. And uh, it tells us exactly what your character is. So I pray this morning that we would trust that character, that we would trust the divine image inside of us. And I thank you for the reminder today through Jake's baptism that we are not alone, but that your spirit indwells each of us who are committed to Jesus as Lord. So we trust that spirit, God. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. We hope this message helps you to inspire people to follow Jesus because you're convinced, like we are, that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Connect with us on Facebook. You can find and like our page at Greenville Oaks. Discover more about the Greenville Oaks Church online at greenvilleoaks.org.